From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. When it comes to sports in Philadelphia, the fans are as passionate as it gets. When we boo, it's not because we hate you or disrespect you. We just don't like what you're doing at that moment. We sit down with KYW sports reporter Dave Uram. It's tailgating. It's defense. It's running the football. It is hard-nosed football professional sports. That's what embodies and symbolizes the Philadelphia sports fan and the Eagles fan. And the very first Phillies fanatic, the hero of happiness himself, Dave Ray as we discuss why sports are such a great unifier. I'm going to go to the baseball game. I'm going to go to the football game. Win or lose, all that passion comes out of you and it resets your brain. All that's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. So we are here with Mr. Dave Uram, KYW News Radio Sports Reporter and anchor, Dave, thank you for joining us on Bridging Philly. It's your first time, right? It's an with honor us? to be on Bridging Philly. My goodness, an it's honor. about time we've had you in the chair in here. Football season is fully underway, and Eagles fans are some of the most passionate fans on the planet. Yes, no yes? Yes. Is that not true? Without question. And we wanted to talk about the fact that sports is such a great unifier. It really doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is. If you are an Eagles fan and you are from the region, there is no beef. You are family, and it is great. So talk about that. I know you've been covering the Eagles for years, and this is what you've seen. So fascinating that you bring it up that way in terms of the the unification of it. You know, politics and topics like that can be so polarizing. But you could get along with somebody who has completely different views with you on something such as politics or any other topic, and you'll get along because you you love Philadelphia sports. It really is, Raquel, the ultimate unifier, whether it's with the Eagles, the Phillies, Sixers, Flyers, and the Philadelphia Union. It's, it's tremendous. Yeah, but among Eagles fans in particular, there's something extra special right there about the Eagles fans. Now, I will say that I live in South Jersey, and I happen to be... I'm a fan of football in general and all teams. I'm going to be really... I'm going to kind of just ease my way into this because I don't want anybody to flip out or attack me. But I am a Cowboys fan. Okay, so I was told not to wear my Cowboys gear in Philly like ever. Like my daughter's like, make sure you do not wear that. I'm at the Wawa even. Like, don't cover your shirt up. my other. But, you know, when I do wear it, people don't like assault me. I do get a little looks like, oh, boy, there's one of those fans. And I know that there's a particular rivalry between Eagles and Cowboys, right? There's a special hatred there. It's been going back years. There's the, there's the famous saying that um, the Eagles could lose every single game of the season, but the fans want them to win two games in particular. If they win the two Dallas games but lose the other 15 Fans well, obviously will be unhappy for an unprecedented 2-15 and 15 season. The Eagles have never had that bad of a season before. Right. But it would be a small consolation. There's also the other wow. saying that on Sundays, the Eagles fans root for the Eagles and mm-hmm. whoever the Cowboys are playing. It's a rivalry that goes wow. back generations. It's the whole thing of Dallas is America's team yeah. and yada, 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 and all this and all that. And the Eagles fans simply 
just don't buy it. And now it's even heightened even more because their owner, their general manager, Jerry Jones, uh, is a very, I don't want to say polarizing, but he's a very notable figure that Eagles fans do not like. So it's a rivalry that has gone back a long time. Yeah, yeah, it has. And um, Eagles fans are very vocal about it, I will say, but I have not yet been insulted. But they're very vocal about it. Because, because, <laughs> because there is this national stereotype about Eagles fans and Philadelphia fans that frankly is just wrong. Philadelphia fans are not nasty people. Okay. They're not mean people. Yes, there are isolated incidents where people do stupid things like fighting or taunting or whatever. But for the most part, the majority, the near almost 100% majority are really good fans and really good people. And I guess I would put it to you this way. As long as the opposing fan isn't being overly obnoxious when entering the link in an opposing team's jersey, whether Cowboys or whoever, you're probably going to be okay. Right, right. So I'm not surprised that nobody's giving you grief. I am not. Because Because I'm not disrespectful. No. right. You can't come into the link Right. If the Eagles are playing the Cowboys at the link, you can't come into the link with the attitude. Sure. This is the home team. Right. Sure. This is this is where you are. I mean, you just got to be respectful of, of other people. And, uh-huh. I, and, I, and I think that as long as you are respectful of other other folks and, and you're not being, you know, overly uh, obnoxious or boisterous or mm-hmm. taunting, you're most likely going to make it out of the link. OK. <laughs> OK. Um, right. And for, for me, for the most part, it's just friendly rivalry. Yeah. It's great. It, it's it's fun. I think football fans in Philadelphia, it's tradition. It's passion. It's tailgating. Yeah. It's buying the Kelly Green jerseys. It's defense. It's running the football. It is hard-nosed football professional sports. That's what embodies and symbolizes the Philadelphia sports fan and the Eagles fan. I respect that. I do. What do you think about the Kelly Green? You like it? I think the Kelly Green is a sensational color. I think that it's obvious that the fan base has wanted it for a very long time. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie made Midnight Green the primary color. I want to say 27 years ago or something like that, nearly 30 years ago. And there's always been this clamoring for the Kelly Green to come back. And it's great that it's back this year uh, for two games, for two regular season home games as the alternate jersey. Now, they wanted to bring, in fairness to Jeffrey Lurie, they wanted to bring it back uh, sooner. But there was a rule in the NFL for a while where you could not have an alternate helmet. So Lurie and the Eagles did not think it would look good if they had the Kelly Green uniform but the Midnight Green helmet. And then a new rule came in, and that allowed them to go to Kelly Green for the alternate uniform. Okay. All right. Can we talk a superstition for a little bit? I mean, from eating a particular meal to having a particular shirt on, listening to music, not changing your routine, having a lucky item. I know you've been covering for a long time. Talk about some of the more interesting superstitions that you've run across among Eagles fans. Oh, man. I don't know if they're necessarily superstitions per se, but, you know, some Eagles fans have uh, green jello shots at their tailgates, having the same meal and the same routine, beforehand uh you know in terms of i'm sure there are many many fans who like to wear the same jersey that they've always worn for years and years and years and years on game day even if that player is not wearing maybe they have a specific attire and a specific method to putting on their uniforms you know i think that silver linings playbook which is a really good film you know with bradley cooper and um and jennifer lawrence and robert de niro i think that 
you know, while there's an obviously a serious topic of mental health that is the overlying theme of Silver Linings Playbook, I think when you see Robert De Niro's character kind of move the remotes around and whatnot, and and you, you know, you got to sit there. <laughs> right. I, th- I think that that would be a common thing among sports fans and sports fans in Philadelphia because everybody cares so much about the Eagles winning that they want to try to do everything that they can to help the Eagles win. And I think that it also symbolizes this town in terms of sports fans is that when the Eagles win, the following week's going to be fun, right? <laughs> right Good. Right, but right. when the Eagles lose, <sighs> I'll, say, I'll say this. This might sound extreme. Okay. If the Eagles lose and you're an Eagles fan, but two days later you win the Mega Millions... I think you're still going to be upset that week, even though you won the. I'm serious. Oh that's gosh. how. That's how important. It's that serious. It's that important for okay. for Eagles fans who really care to see the team do well. I mean, the Mega Millions, though. <laughs> I, no, I hear you. I got you. My wife would would say you're crazy for saying that, but but uh, that's the truth. Like but the whole point of it is, is that. What happens on Sundays with the Eagles, or whenever they play, yes. sets the tone for the mood of the week amongst the fan base. It really does. I've, I've noticed that. I have. Now, you've come across some super fans, right? There are people that have been able to make a name for themselves yeah. being super fans. Sure. And, of course, the, the, the you know, social media really you know, drives that. You've met a lot of super fans during your, your time covering the Eagles, yes? Eagle Shirley is one that Eagle comes Shirley. to mind uh, you know, right away. She's real passionate. Eagles fan, uh, enthusiastic, really emotional, um, you know, calling into WIP for years. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Let's get it. Let's go. Love y'all. God bless. Really making it about family and spending time with family. She's a great one. Um, Monty G, uh, who is a, who is a freestyler. Uh, we've got these great freestyles about Philadelphia sports and the Eagles. It ain't nothing but the Super Bowl, baby. No ifs, ands, or buts, or maybe. Yes, you know, we beat Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. He's Alabama a really, really good city. one. You know, There's so that. many. Kenny from the Dirty 30, uh, who's cool. been, been a longtime Eagles fan. Danny Ozark comes walking out to do a pitching change, and everybody starts booing him. I didn't know. I started booing because that's what everybody did. My first bill. Really sorry if I'm missing any names off the top of my head. I'll give you one that I just recently learned about. Um, and he doesn't even live here, but his name is Brandon Winston. Okay. He lives in West Virginia. And he's lived in West Virginia his entire life. Wow. But, he, but he became uh, an, an Eagles fan. Uh, somebody close to him got him into the Eagles as a kid, and he's been an Eagles fan for 20 years. He's the one, Raquel, you brought up the Kelly Green jerseys. He's the one who accidentally leaked the reveal of the Kelly Green jerseys online by accident before the team's official reveal, which was supposed to be a couple of days later over the summer. Well, how did he know about it, though? So Brandon, he was on the Eagles app. He was looking for tickets. And he just happened to click on something that said, Go Green. So he thought it was about recycling, right, which he's into. But I guess by accident, somehow Go Green was rerouted to photographs of the Eagles in their Kelly Green uniforms. I, oh. I haven't really been able to confirm whether or not this was supposed to happen or not with that link rerouting it to, yeah. to that. I don't know, but that's what it did. So Brandon, not recognizing that 
they weren't supposed to be revealed yet. I think he knew that they were supposed to be a couple days away. He screenshot them, thinking that the Eagles had an early reveal, and he put them on social media, and they yeah. became viral. But the Eagles didn't have an early reveal. He just happened to stumble upon them by accident, and he forced the <laughs> Eagles, presumably, to reveal the jerseys a couple of days before they were supposed to come Look out on that. a Monday. They ended up coming out on a Saturday, and then, of course, they had the big sale at the pro shop on the Monday when they you know, sold out crazy right, and right. had people tailgating at four. That tells you, as I said, people were tailgating in the middle of the night sitting outside of the pro shop for the reveal of the Kelly Green uniforms. So anyway, Brandon, this great Eagles fan, felt bad that he went up and scooped his favorite team by putting them out on the internet before they were really supposed to, and he was really apologetic about it. Really great mm. fan. Those are just four fans, Raquel, who are huge Philadelphia sports fans that love the Eagles, love mm-hmm. the Phillies, love the Sixers, love the Flyers, love the Union, and it's a huge part of this town. The Eagles are a massive entity in this town. Uh, sports is a huge thing in this town, and it's obvious why Philadelphia is one of the best sports fans in America, if not the best. It's nothing to do the Eagles, and I think this is a good thing to close on. This summer, Trey Turner the Phillies shortstop was having a really down year in his first year in Philadelphia. First year of an 11-year contract worth, off the top of my head, I think $300 million off the top of my head, something like that. It's really down year, not performing to expectations. He had a bad road trip, and then he would come home in the beginning of August, and down the hall, WIP, which is really a good pulse of the sports fan, mm-hmm. was came up with an idea. Their, their afternoon producer, Jack Fritz, came up with the idea that everybody in this first game back from the road trip at Citizens Bank Park give Trey Turner a standing ovation. Even though he's been playing terribly, you know, he's a millionaire, struggling millionaire at his sport, playing terribly. For his first at bat, and for several of the ensuing ones to come, he got a standing ovation from the crowd. And he has since turned his season around. And he credits the fans know. giving him the confidence and the belief in yeah. himself and the support and turning his season around. And now he's one of the Phillies, as he's supposed to be, one of the Phillies' better hitters. He was not for much of this season. So that just shows you the, they showed him some love. the power of love and the power yeah. of the fans and how much there is a bond between these teams and the city and the fan base. You know, you know, it's the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, right? It's not always, you know, there's a lot of tough love going on, but there's tough love because the fans care so much. All right. KYW News Radio Sports and News Anchor and Reporter Dave Uram. It's been fun. Thanks so oh, much. Last Raquel, thank you. Go Eagles. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Football season in the city of Philadelphia is like no other city. It is alive, vibrant, and it truly unifies the city. And I just thought it was so interesting to get into the psychology of sports and why it's such a great unifier. It doesn't matter what area of Philly you live in, if you're an Eagles fan, a Phillies fan, you are an immediate friend. So who better to discuss the power of sports and unifying people in the name of fun than the purveyor of fun himself? Dave Raymond spent many years as the Philly fanatic, putting smiles on faces, having fun, and even training, curating other mascots for sports teams. 
Someone like that uh, truly understands the power of sports, unifying people, and, of course, the power of fun. In fact, the name of Dave Raymond's book is titled The Power of Fun. And he joins us here today. Welcome, Dave Raymond, to Bridging Philly. Thank you, Raquel. Connection is what it's all about. And connection with, um, while distracting any judgment. Mm. That's the beauty of the unification you're talking about, that what the Phillies pee or the Eagles chant, what that does is if you do that, if you wear that, then you automatically are part of the family. No judgment about race, no judgment about sex, no judgment about um, who you identify as. You were part of the family. It's unconditional connection, which is what is so fabulous about sports. And and it is steeped in psychology, and it's the way we think. Mm -hmm. And our brains are worst ally in us trying to accept and understand. And you have to work at it. Yeah. And, you know, I do appreciate Philly fans. I appreciate Eagles fans. Um, even though during football season, I'm great with the Eagles winning and, you know, I, I root for the Eagles until they play my team. Okay. So when they play the Cowboys. Uh-oh. <laughs> I wasn't told this before I came in. I was ready to cancel the interview. See, this is this is what oh we do, gosh, right? Oh, my gosh. See, I'm coming out as a Cowboys fan, but I have a deep appreciation for the Eagles. I do. I just don't root for them when they play. The and, and listen, that's okay. That's so let me, what's your story of becoming a Cowboys fan? This is perfect for the topic. Okay. My story is the person that taught me football. Because one day I'm like, okay, what's this football thing? What You watch this all day, every day. I might as well sit down with you and you teach me the game. And this person I was dating at the time. And through him, I learned all about football. I learned about the plays and everything. And he was a huge Cowboys fan. So I knew the team. I knew the owner. I knew everything about the team. And it stuck. And that's it. Okay. And see, and that that is actually, if you were to say, which I hear all the time from my Cowboys buddies, and I do have a number of them, mm-hmm. they go, well, when I was six, the Eagles were terrible. And then I saw this star in Roger Staubach. And I've been and like, no, no, no. Bad parenting. That's first. Because <laughs> the parents needed to step in okay. and do something. And they had to figure it out after absorbing it. You have a different story. There's a connection there. If somebody's important to you, then they do the gracious thing of teaching this wonderful sport. And it happens to be because of the Cowboys. That is a legitimate story. So when people go, oh, my God, just say, listen, just understand where I am. So you'll have to go somewhere else. <laughs> when, we, when we play the Cowboys, you need to sequester yourself oh, okay. in a little private room <laughs> so nobody sees you're, you're doing it. Or okay. you can go to Dallas during that time, right? Where or be, be, or be, be with the people that you share that with and then come back to the good stuff later. <laughs> okay. All right. I got it. Um, this, is, this is hilarious. But this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show because ultimately, like I said, you know, sports does unify people and it you know it got the whole fun element in it and you know I could have given you a very long introduction you've done so much uh, in your career um, but I'm going to let you talk all about that uh, as we go along so let's first talk about how you came to become the Philly fanatic yeah. for how many years well 16 years from its inception to 94 wow. but I started with the Phillies as an intern and that was due to my father head football coach at the University of Delaware. He was at Delaware for 50 years. Mm -hmm. He was the head coach for 36 years. He won all 300 games of his coaching career uh, as a head coach at Delaware. And he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. And I I wanted to be him. And as I was growing up, I played football for him at Delaware, which was an interesting uh, time, which I would never give back. Yeah, yeah, my... Tough as a dad, tougher as a coach. (laughs) Both ways, I learned a lot from him. Mm -hmm. But he knew I was a sensitive kid and that I liked to be liked. 
And as a football coach, that is certainly not something you should expect. And you got to be tough enough to be able to put that aside. And while he was going to help me be a football coach, he said, let me get you a job with the Phillies and change your perspective. Famously saying to me, you'll never know who you'll meet or what might happen. Hmm. And which was the whole point of the perspective. And I got an internship with the Phillies in 76 and 77. And I was there for a couple of weeks. I go, I don't want to be a football coach. (laughs) I didn't know I could have a career. I could raise my family doing this. And I thought, well, this is better, right? Um, I mean, I know the Phillies, they've got 82 home games. So if they lose a couple, it's no big shake. It's like, I can deal with that. And that's what I fell in love with. And it wasn't until the end of my two-year commitment that they called me and the the conversation was, hey, do you want to come back this summer in 1978? And I said, yeah, of course. What do you want me to do? They said, go to New York and get fitted for the costume. And I protested for about a second. And then they said, David, look, just go to New York. And which I did, and and that was the start of, of the Fanatic. I went and got measured for a costume. I met Bonnie Erickson, who was one of Jim Henson's original designers, so I was like in Muppet wow. royalty. Wow. And then when I left that day, they I had no idea what they were creating, but her, Bonnie, and Bill Giles had worked on a design mm-hmm. that is the Fanatic that we know and love today, and I saw a design drawing when I left. I said, oh, my God, I'm getting paid to be a Muppet. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a Muppet. Now, and, and, and you know, that was how it started. And you're fitted into this costume. You saw the design. You put it on. But it's nothing until you make it come alive. How did you give it that character? Uh, that's a great question because I, all respect goes to the Phillies' leadership. They were enlightened. I was asking, what do you want me to do? And they didn't know what they wanted me to do. No one knew what we were. They just wanted it to work. Yeah. And it had a very short shelf life for it to either work or not with our fans. And so they didn't make an announcement that was prepping, priming us for, hey, this isn't some big marketing scheme. We're just going to throw them out there Mm -hmm. with no thought about what they wanted me to do. So what my boss, Bill Giles, said when I asked him fearfully, he said, wait a minute, you don't know what you want me to do? You just want me to show up? And he said, yeah, but I want you to show up enjoying yourself. Hmm. You go out and do whatever you enjoy. Go do that. And then it will connect with our fans because, you know, I was a Phillies fan. So I had the heartbeat of a Phillies fan in my chest. Mm. So when I ran out of his office going, hey, I'm a college student. I'm a professional idiot. I know how to have fun. He (laughs) screams at me, G-rated fun. So that's the only box he put me in. And then over the next few weeks, we were constantly collaborating. He would say, go over here. Go out with the ground crew in the fifth inning, which continues today to be a big moment for the fanatic. Right. Um, and then I said, what about if I do this? And I found this little vehicle that Honda makes. It'll help me get around. All right, let's go get one of those. And, it, and that is how the fanatic's personality evolved was it was a piece of me, mm-hmm. my love of Daffy Duck, Foghorn Leghorn, Warner Brothers cartoons, wow, yeah. Three Stooges, silent uh, comics of their day, all this nonverbal slapstick humor humor was all what energized me. And then I love the sounds of Philadelphia, you know, the music um, and what was being developed here. I love dancing. And I just, you know, what what do they call it? Mashed that together. Mm -hmm. And slowly over time for me, in in probably the first six months, I started to get a feeling of who I was as the fanatic and becoming the fanatic's best friend was a great way to separate the two personalities. And that's what we use for media Never showed him out of costume. We did that once and said, oh, that looks terrible. But we want the media. We want the coverage. And they started to treat the fanatic, again, enlightened leadership, like he was a living, breathing entity. And in branding terms, he was a living, breathing brand extension where people want to hug and take pictures. And then in in that day, they weren't posting, but they were sharing. And today they're posting. It's, It's a beautiful reflection of who the Phillies are beyond the wins and losses. 
and certainly the championships. And we're now in red October, passion at the highest. And uh, you're going to hear a broadcaster, John Smoltz, who used to be a pitcher for Atlanta, just wax poetic about how much he loves the fanatic and doesn't want to know, quote unquote, who his best friend is, just wants to see him. It's a phenomenal time for the fanatic to bond and join us together. I'm expecting success, but we know in sports that success may not happen. And the fanatic is kind of there for those times too, to kind of bring us around with a bigger picture. As passionate as we are and as sick as our stomachs we're going to be if the Phillies don't do well, or if the Eagles don't reach the Super Bowl and right. win the Super Bowl. Right. There's more to it than that. And that simmers below the surface and it bubbles up when we need it, just like valuing fun does. It's Something about seeing a mascot, it, it just turns the biggest adult into a little kid. The kids already love mascots. And then, of course, when, you know, I see a mascot like Gritty. Gritty stepped on my microphone one day. <laughs> I was like, hey, hey, you're on my microphone. But, you know, you identify with these characters like, you you know, like the Muppets and everything and, and then Sesame Street. And we all grew up with, with these characters. But it just makes us feel like kids again yeah. when we see you guys come around. Well, and Raquel, that is, that's the dose of magic. That's the magic that's inside of any mascot that's done well. There's many that are not. And the Phillies mascots in general are really done well. And there's one element that is across the board similar to the ones that do it well, is that they've been designed to distract you for a moment or two. So mm-hmm. no matter how bad your life is going or how great it's going, when you run into a character that is designed that way, their job is to have you forget about all of that. Lose some sense of self, get inside the moment, and show this affection for your for a brand you love, and you're able to hug it mm-hmm. and interact physically with it. Like an institution like a college or university, you can't go hug the buildings. You probably can't get to that famous football coach sometimes or, your, or the, the student athletes, but you can interact with the mascot, which is the embodiment of that brand. So I used to answer that question, like, why are mascots so important? I would say, oh, because they're, they're living, breathing characters. But as I've studied and learned this positive psychology is they're an amazing daily intentional activity. Hey, I'm going to go fill in the blank. And wherever you're going is going to distract you from what's going on in your life for a half an hour. I'm going to go to the baseball game. I'm going to go to the football game. Win or lose, all that passion comes out of you and it resets your brain. Because you forget, then you got to go home and deal with it if it's bad or savor the good times. But the bottom line is we all need a break to get out of ourselves, to remove our brains from constantly say, hey, you're threatened, you know, pay attention. Your brain is all focused on the negative things because it wants you to be safe. You got to turn that off sometimes. And there's all kinds of ways to do it, meditation or walk, whatever. But whatever is you, I've got to go fill in the blank. That's your thing that you're doing to distract. And mascots do it so seamlessly. And you get to see your kids get all excited. And it becomes a moment of joy. So a photograph I have of last year's playoff games was me at a big tailgate with all my family and our friends dressed up. And we've got a football in our hands because we were throwing the football at a Phillies game. And we were just huge Phillies fans that day. And I forgot about everything other than the fact that I'm with my people I love and care about the most. And that's what mascots just give you that moment. Yeah. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. You know, I'm thinking back to, I read a little bit about your story. There was a time in your career where tragedy struck uh, and things kind of went downhill for you. But you're this happy guy. You're, you're happy. You're supposed to make other people happy. Can you talk about that time in your life where things got a little difficult, but you were 
you still had to be the fanatic. Yeah, and had to was, I was trying to stop that. I mean, mm -hmm. I'd gone through the, the death of my mom. I'd gone through divorce. And and I was considering suicide. And it I was all at once. I never. Yeah, it was within. Uh -huh. And you know, leave it to Beaver Life. To those of you who are a lot younger, <laughs> that's a perfect utopian life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was living that. I, everything happened the way I would have hoped it to happen. I was doing well financially and having this great job. And boom, the brutality of life walked up and whacked me. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we have to understand. This isn't as simple as waking up and saying I'm going to be happy. It takes work and effort, and it takes us to value the good times. And why are we doing that? Because we know the brutality of life is around the corner. If we're blessed to live a long life, multiple times, we're going to get brutality in our lives. What we need to do is stop us from where I went was into hopelessness. And the reason why I went there was, I can't tell people I'm this way. I'm, my job is to be this clown. I can't be unhappy. I can't be unsatisfied. I can't be depressed. And I was hopeless. And my decision at that time was, I'm going to finish up a couple of these appearances before the Phillies allow me to take a break in my schedule because they knew I was suffering. And then I said, I'm going to come home and take care of this. And that was part of the process. And I feel unclean. I feel ashamed when I tell you this right now because that's what happens. So the high performance people, the people that are supposed to be fun, the tears of the clown, they're thinking, I can't share this. I can't do this. It's going to ruin yeah. my career. Or I'm not. And then they get to the point where they, the only answer left for them is to decide to take their own lives. And that was a horrific time. But what happened was I had to finish a couple of appearances. And for the first time, while feeling awful, I was in the costume and people were yelling, I love you. Come hug me. Take a picture. You're the best fanatic. Mm. I can't live without you. I'm a huge fan. All the things that we've talked about. Yeah. And that lifted me a tick above hopelessness, which if you listen to Martin Seligman's original TEDx talk about the idea of positive psychology, was he said, in psychology, we used to just try to get people to tick above hopelessness, and that was no small thing. That was okay, because we were saving people that way. And then we started to look at the outliers of the data points to say, why are these people not over here with the rest of them? And that's when they studied people who naturally had this ability to be um, enthused and to be able to turn off their brain for a little bit. And that's where the whole study of positive psychology started. And this is only in the late 70s. So it's in its infancy still. So um, it's hard work, and that's what we need in our lives is to realize we are not going to be successful at this every single second. But we have to remember that it truly is up to us to make it important to tell our brains we are going to value the positivity that we have and that we can create. And then when the tough stuff happens, your brain's going to be on full effect in a good way. Got to go see the doctor. Got to take my medicine. Got to make sure I'm eating right. Or if it's mentally, I'm going to see the psychologist. I'm going to go see my therapist. You're doing all those right things. But what we forget during those times is, okay, well, how is the power of fun helping me? That means I need to also do something that is counterintuitive during difficult times. Yeah. I can't do that now because I'm a caregiver. They don't get a break. I can't do that now because I'm fighting for my life. And I've got people around me that I don't want them to spend too much time with me. These are the things that go on with both sides of the equation. Sure. But you have to say, no, 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 I need that. I've got to read the book that makes me laugh. I've got to have somebody come in that's going to make me smile. I'm going to need to go do fill in the blank. And that fill in the blank is personal to you. What will make you get into a flow state? It might be pulling weeds for somebody else. It might be go up on stage and sing. Yeah. Those two different people are going to do different things. But what you remember is when the tough times hit you, you have to be working on changing your brain with a moment of joy some, yeah. or even remembering one. 
And it's about balancing those two. We balance the difficult times because we know all the things we have to do to save ourselves, but we don't value and savor when the good times are happening and say, this is really important. I need to write down what's happening when I'm happy so that when you get the challenges, you go, I need to do the same thing. I can't give up on that because that's how you get into hopelessness. That is so interesting that you say that. You know, I'm in therapy. I tell everybody you should have a therapist, someone you check in with every couple of weeks and you just sit and talk. And one of the things she asked me is, what can you do for a half hour a week, not even a day, a half hour a week that's just for you, that's just complete fun for you? And I'm still working on that. That's great. I couldn't even answer. I'm like, I'm not really sure. That's because (laughs) that your brain is fighting to protect yourself. So you're Mm. thinking about all the things that are attacking you, whatever it is, and you forget about the things that could be simply done. Here, I'll give you one. Stop asking people when you greet them every day, how are you doing? How many people do you greet every day that you'd say, hey, hi, how are you doing? All the time, yeah. Well, you've told their brain to dump on you because in their heads are all the things that are bugging them. Change it by saying, tell me something good. Don't say, how are you doing? Say, hi, tell me something good. And the curmudgeons in your lives will non-verbally shrink into a raisin in front of you because they don't want to say (laughs) anything that could possibly be positive. And then they'll, they'll say, well, I'm alive, which is a huge gratitude every day. You know, people say, yeah, it's better to be above ground. Yeah. Um, so tell me something good's a great way to start conversations. It's an intentional activity because your conversations that probably if you did in the reverse and said, how are you doing, would be very negative because people say, oh, the kids, my spouse, my job, and all of it comes out because you're asking, right? right? And it's not bad for them to get that out. But if you say, tell me something good, it makes the brain shut that down for a minute and that takes them a little bit longer. It does. And then they come up with something beautiful. Like I've done that with folks And they'll come up to me and said, you know what popped into my head was that I got my first clean cancer screen today. And I haven't shared that with anybody. Mm. I haven't told all of my coworkers yet. And I said, well, can I give you some advice? And they said, yes, go share that with everybody because they want to hear that and they want to celebrate with you. And then the leader of that organization set up a time where he could get up in front and tell everybody the next day. And they had a big party. Um, So tell me something good is an intentional activity that you are going to do daily And that only takes seconds, right? You said, I I agree, a half an hour a week, five to six minutes a day for yourself to think, what am I going to do to boost my mood? And tell me something good is one of them. So you got to come up with 15 of them that you can go to. And it could be a walk. It could be reading a book. It could be calling a certain friend. It could be going to an amusement park. It it could be just thinking about something that was really wonderful in your life and you relive it it in your brain. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you release what they call happy hormones, you know, serotonin and all of the good chemicals in your yeah. brain to give you that great feeling. And just remembering that does it. So smiling and laughing, even if you're making it up, even if you're faking it, releases those same chemicals. So just smiling more and be the first to smile and laughing is an intentional activity. It's simple, right? We just, but we don't value it. So, well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? And every time I hear a client say that's silly, I go, you're on to something. Whenever your brain is telling you that's silly, it's not valuing it, you need to value this. And, it, and that, that's the hardest thing is the habit loop to switch our brain off and allow your brain to value the positive things. Yeah, yeah. when you think about it, it's, it's amazing how we tend to suppress um, happiness because we're protecting ourselves for what, what's next or the other shoe to drop. I'm very guilty of that. <laughs> we um, all are. It's like, and, it's, and that's the guilt we have yeah. because we think we're special in our negativity. It's truly the way we're all wired. Yeah. That time uh, in your life uh, when you lost your mom, you're going through the divorce and so on, uh, and you reached that very, very low point, um, and, but you were also had to do the fanatic job 
and you felt those feelings of people wanting to hug you, seeing those smiles, is that when you realized or recognized the true power that fun has? No question. And I honestly had not deconstructed it yet. I was just thrilled. I had an answer other than I'm going to go home and take care of this. Yeah. You know, the, the, taking my life became secondary at the most. And then it disappeared very quickly because mm-hmm. I went, I'm going to do more of these because I know, and as I say on stage, I go, you know, that moment turned into a day. And yeah, and after I got off the costume, I was still felt horrible, but I was a tick above hopelessness. The day turned into a week, week into months, months into a year and years till today. When I tell this story, I, I'm, I'm really talking about how amazing of a person my mother was. And how all of the things she was telling me while she was sick were great keys to being happier. And because she was deaf, which is part of the story, I finally gave myself credit for the work that I did in costume. That my nonverbal was well over 10,000 hours of practice from the moment my mom went deaf when I was three until the day she died. I was communicating and using all this nonverbal skill that I had learned. I, I did learn a little bit of sign language, but I communicated with my mom non-verbally, and that was the skill set that I can take credit for because because it was so natural, I didn't, oh, anybody can do this. So um, it was the moment that I realized it, but I wasn't able to tell the story, the story until about uh, 10 years ago when I started sharing it because I was doing training about how to speak well. And when I talked to some of my coaches about, I, I have this in me and I haven't, and they said, oh no, you number one, you need to do it and tell them how what it means to them and number two, you need to tell them you're okay now and why you're okay. So I, you know, I have 28 years of, of marriage with Sandy. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, you know, I'm not worthy of Sandy, so I try every day to try <laughs> to uh, live up to how great of a human being she is who lives life very simply. It's a lot of things are black and white to Sandy, which you find is a wonderful way to go through life, is to just understand there doesn't have to be difficult. And that's the story I would tell after getting the training to tell the stories. Look what the Power Fund has given me. How can people find out more about Dave Raymond, the Power of Fun, and all that you do? At DaveRaymondSpeaks.com. What I love to tell people is, if you want a little taste of this, um, what a surprise, I have a newsletter. (laughs) But it comes out once a month, last Friday of the month at 5.30. It isn't all just for me. This is curated from all the uh, information I've studied and learned, and I try to do it in an engaging, fun, simple way. I'm happier having spoken to you today. <laughs> and I with you. This is wonderful. Great. And I actually have somebody that I now have a beginning relationship with that's a cowboy fan. You do. That's, and it's okay. Uh, it is okay. I'm <laughs> still feeling good. It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave Raymond. Appreciate your time. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Sharaday Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs>